Hello, everyone. It is me, Known Wells, creator and host of You, Me, Empathy. Today in episode eight, I chat with my friend, Tony, for a Tony Time installment on uh, depression. We're going to dig deeper into depression on this episode, talk about when a patient comes to Tony uh, and they say, I think I'm depressed. What are Tony's responses? How does he handle that? We explore that together and how he treats depression in his patients, the common misconceptions of depression, and the difference between sadness and depression, and a whole lot more. Uh, The disclaimer for the show is that Yumi Empathy is for informational and or entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And as it pertains to uh, my buddy Tony, or Anthony Romanke, he is a California licensed marriage and family therapist, licensed by the Board of Behavioral Sciences, license number LMFT 47805. Okie dokie, that's it, artichokies. No, actually, one more thing. Uh, go uh, check out our new Patreon page. It's uh, patreon.com slash empathy, and it's, uh, it's a place where you can support the show on an ongoing basis. Isn't that fun? For 25 cents, a mere 25 cents per episode, you can uh, support the show. And if you wanted to throw a little bit more my way, uh, you can get stickers. You can even be a guest on the show. A lot of fun. Go to patreon.com slash empathy. Okay, guys. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy episode eight. Episode 8 of You, Me, Empathy. I am here, as I always am, on these Tony Time episodes with my friend and psychotherapist, Tony. Hello, Tony. Hello, Noan. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Nice. We are... I can't believe we're already at episode 8. It's. Uh, it seems like it's sort of flown by this uh, this podcast, and it's keeping me busy. Yeah. Well, it's, you've been doing a lot of work. I mean... A weekly show is different than a bi-weekly show, which is what I did with Joy Sandwich. Yeah. This show, uh, yeah, takes a lot more work and um, on a variety of levels, and I think that's that's a good thing, and I I enjoy it. I'm I'm enjoying the process. Well, good, because hopefully that's half of what we're doing here, right? Is yes. Something to, something to be enjoyed. Yes, indeed. Um, so, on today's show, we are going to talk about depression. So, I had, uh, if you listen to episode seven, I had a conversation with Eric Zimmer of the podcast, The One You Feed. Go check that out. It's a great podcast. He uh, spoke about his uh, experience with depression. Um, And um, today's episode for the Tony Time version of depression, uh, I'm going to ask Tony some questions. We're going to talk about how he 
handles depression from his point of view as a therapist with his with his patients. So the first thing, one of the sort of things I've been thinking about in regards to depression is how big it is. Yeah. And that's one of the things that Eric and I were talking about, how sort of big the concept is. And I, I and I mean that on a number of levels. I mean that in it's sort of hard it's it's big in terms of it's hard to sort of wrap your brain around. It's also big in terms of like millions of people suffering from depression, diagnosed with depression. Uh I think where I want to start is how do you, as a therapist, how do you, um, let's say a patient comes to you and says, how do I know if I'm depressed? Right. Which quite often happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very common, you know, for somebody to come in or or maybe they say something to the effect of, you know, I think I might be depressed. Yeah. But, you know, might. Right. You know, I'm not sure, but I'm thinking I could be. And, you know, one of the wonderful tools as clinicians that we have is something called the, the Diagnostical Statistical Manual that's created by the American Psychiatric Association. And, you know, within that uh, beautiful, large book that we have that's filled with, with diagnoses, um, you know, we have a set of criteria that we get to go through and evaluate a client from. Mm-hmm. And there's other tools that we can use. You know, there's the Beck depression inventory. And, and certainly we use our clinical interview skills to, to help facilitate an assessment. But, you know, one thing Eric had mentioned that, that I really appreciated in his, in his interview with you was this concept of looking at depression as a, a basically a, what I, what I heard from him was it's a cluster of symptoms. Right. And, We've created, or you know, the American Psychiatric Association has created. Um, if you have these symptoms, we're going to give this particular thing a name. Sure. And this particular cluster of symptoms, we're going to call depression. But one of the things I felt like I heard Eric and you talk about in your in your in your uh, podcast was this idea of you know, regardless of of this cluster of symptoms that we're identifying with, it's still kind of different for everybody. Right. Right. And, you know, and so when somebody comes into me and again, kind of drops, you know, hey, I think I might be depressed. I don't automatically just say, well, you know, okay, so let's, you know, evaluate you based on this and then just put them in this kind of cookie cutter, you know, kind of concept of what I think depression is or, and we, you know, just work from a cookie cutter, you know, kind of point of view. Although there are some standard treatments for depression that are very effective, there's still, I think, a, a unique aspect to everybody's presentation that you really got to spend some time to get to know because, you know, in spite of the fact that there may be some commonalities of symptoms that are presented, you know, I still think everybody's a very unique person and and what might be behind their depression. I think you really have to investigate. You know, um, one of the things that I've been thinking about is the you know, so before that that episode with Eric, you shared with me Dr. Alex Korb's yeah. sort of research a little bit on neuroscience and the brain and depression. And and one of the things that he mentioned and, and sort of opened my eyes a little bit is the common sort of confusion between depression and sadness. Right. And the big sort of distinguishing mark of depression, which doesn't usually occur in sadness and correct me if I'm wrong is, is a feeling of emptiness. Correct. Right. So I could be sad 
that, um, well, Eric said, you know, in the episode, uh, he had a dog die. Yeah. He was very sad by this. And it's a very saddening event. You know, when Scooby goes, I'm going to be a fucking mess. <laughs> right. Sad and probably sad for a long time. But the difference between that experience and depression is with depression, I, I'm empty. I don't feel anything. I don't want to do anything. Is that, is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and we do, you know, again, clinically, if somebody comes in, you know, we're, I'm trying to separate that out to, yeah. to really get a feel for, for what the person is truly going through. And yeah, and that's correct. I mean, sadness is, is a very common human emotion and, but depression and that emptiness that you talk about is, is a kind of a key defining factor because what somebody, you know, who's really going through a depression or, you know, what we would call a clinical depression is actually coming in and they're reporting that, you know, everything feels pointless. Right. There's just a general hopelessness and a pointlessness and they don't see a reason to, you know, nor – they don't see generally a reason to get out of bed. You know, yeah. they don't feel a reason, you know, life seems pointless, you know, kind of that existential crisis that you two kind of touched on a yeah. little bit in the podcast. And so therefore there's an emptiness, you know, there, there's nothing has meaning, nothing has value, nothing has significance or important. There's no motivation, you know, the, the person's completely lacking any real motivation. Um, you know, why try? You know, what's the point? I, you know, I just, there's nothing inside of me that's, that's making me want to do anything, you know, of, 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 and generally, you know, what we look for is, is the person no longer experiencing joy in the thing they used to experience joy from. Right. And has that gone, you know, is, is, you know, or is, is there no more meaning for the person in their life any longer? And so, you know, these are kind of, yeah, those, those big separating, differentiating differences between somebody who just might be sad, who may have gone through something, a loss. You know, mm -hmm. and, and we're always looking for that. We're always trying to determine whether, you know, is bereavement a part of this? You know, has the person lost something? Is this more of kind of what we would consider an adjustment disorder, uh, which is an actual diagnosis? Meaning, is the person going through something situationally difficult that they're trying to adjust to? And it's creating symptoms within them, but it's due to a particular type of stressor, you know, something, you know, it's a divorce, it's a breakup, it's a loss of a job. Now, if that's prolonged, that can turn into a clinical depression, but if it's kind of within a normal time frame, so to speak, of, of an adjustment period, then, you know, we also look at it that as, as maybe temporary, you know, compared to something that might, you know, be different than that and look more depressive in nature. How, so you deal with this a lot. How do you, what are the sort of percentages? Like how often is it just a sort of a temporary period of, of you know, darkness and sadness mm. versus an actual like cl clinical depression? Oh gosh, that's a great question. I'm not sure I've really even ever tried to break that down, but I would say I see quite a bit of people that are coming in with some form of adjustment disorder, you know, where mm. they're coming in, you know, something has happened, a, a breakup of a relationship, again, a divorce, a loss of a job, and there is this kind of temporary manifestation of symptoms as a result of that particular stressor. Mm -hmm. That's a fairly common presenting issue, I think, in, in most clinical practices. 
And then I would say, eh, you know, maybe almost as equal. So maybe they're, they're almost equal to one another in, in percentages, I would say, are the people who are presenting with, with a depressive disorder where they might actually qualify for some type of actual clinical diagnosis. And, you know, there's a couple different types of, you know, disorders that some are a clinical depressive disorder somebody could present with. I mean, you you have your major depressive disorder, which is the one that we we tend to think about, you know, that's your clinical depression. And, but we also have one called uh, a pers persistent depressive disorder. We used to call it dysthymia and a dysthymic disorder. And that's when somebody is presenting with more of like a long-term, low-grade chronic depression. And they're, you know, how they've manifested in somebody's life is, is quite different. You know, one again tends to be very persistent and chronic, a little bit more low grade and a major depressive disorder. You know, we can look for potentially diagnosing that in somebody who's had, um, you know, criteria or the, the meeting of criteria that's lasted maybe only two weeks. So they're, they're very, you know, different in mm -hmm. that, in that way. So, and I, I tend to see a fair amount of people who, who actually uh, present with, you know, a chronic depression quite a bit as well, you know, significantly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I, I deal with. I, I've never been diagnosed, uh, you know, by a professional with depression. I mean, yeah. my, my therapist is, I mean, I guess, I guess, a th I mean, a, um, a psychologist, is it a psychologist or would a psychiatrist, psychologist? Well, you could, psychologist, uh, counselor, marriage, family therapist can diagnose, psychiatrist, certainly. Yeah, a therapist ha has has mentioned, I, I think I, I, I go through spouts where it's sort of uh you know a month or so i'm feeling yeah. kind of like hopeless <laughs> right um what uh when you are having these conversations with your patients what what kinds of fact-finding missions are you going on with them like what what kinds of questions are you asking them to decipher whether or not they are depressed sure that's kind of a mix. Um, I think there's a lot of questions that I'm asking that, that are very criteria based, you mm -hmm. know, so as I'm, you know, doing an initial assessment, as I'm going through the, you know, initial interview process with a client, you know, and <clears throat> depending on what they've kind of presented with in terms of what they've, you know, basically shared with me, is there what we call a kind of presenting issue? You know, why are you here today? Basically, you know, mm -hmm. what, what brought you in to therapy and people are, you know, generally have come in with, you know, one or two or maybe three even things that they're, they're presenting with. And, you know, so usually, you know, your ears are kind of picking up right away in terms of what they're presenting with that kind of are starting to guide your questions. And of course you start with the larger questions and, and you kind of work your way down into more narrow, more specific type of questions as that interview process continues, which can take a few sessions really. I mean, as you're getting to know a client, getting to know their history and, you know, and, and I think you, you know, you want to be very thorough. I mean, I, th I think, you know, is, is, I think it's very important to get a, as, you know, best as possible to get an accurate diagnosis because that's really going to inform your treatment. And, and that's really going to determine how are you going to help this particular client. So the more information that I have and the more, uh, you know, I know about a particular client, it just better informs me of, of how we're going to work and, and what the treatment's going to look like. So, so I guess I, I start, you know, kind of larger on the questions, that, you know, and I'm looking for, again, you know, what brought you in today? I'm looking for what, you know, what symptoms have you been experiencing, yeah. you know, recently, but also historically. Uh, I'm certainly extremely interested in family history. I mean, right. you know, that's going to be a huge area of, of 
conversation and exploration is to find out the person's history. Because again, you and Eric touched on this, but you know, if there's a family history of something, you know, if, if I'm hearing that there's a strong family link to depression or anxiety or, or any other form of mental illness, you know, that's, I'm, going to really stand out for me, you know, and, and inform further questions about this particular client and, and, um, and in my investigation. So that's going to be huge. Because um, being around that affects you, right? It just Yeah, well, I think you're looking mm. for a couple things. I think, you know, one, you're, you're, you're trying to understand your client from a social perspective. And, you know, what was the type of relational social environment in which they grew up in? What were they exposed to? And, um, you know, I'm a huge, huge um, uh, fan of, lack of a better term, you know, uh, neuroscience and the understanding of, of you know, how our brains develop, you know, as kind of a result of our, our social experiences, our relational experiences. So that's going to be a huge, important understanding for me is what, you know, what were the social contexts of the person's upbringing uh, and family history? Uh, but also what you're looking for is, well, we, do we have some genetic links you know, what what may have been passed down to this person genetically? What might they be predisposed to? Um, you know, as well as there's this whole new field of epigenetics and, and, and what is happening with a person with regards to gene expression and, and what is somebody's social environment uh, potentially turn on in them from a genetic perspective um, that may, you know, predicate the onset of, of something like this. So, so. It's, you know, we're going to, we're going to look a lot. We're going to look at medications. You know, we're going to look at what medications are they currently taking? Yeah. We're certainly going to look at a medical history. What's the person, you know, if somebody's presenting to me and they've not checked any of this out with, with a medical professional, if they've not actually gone and done a physical with their medical uh, physician, if they've not ruled out the potential for some type of actual, you know, physiological um, or, you know, biological cause for what's happening. Um, what I, would those be, like, as an example? Um, you know, one of the first things that kind of pops into my mind is if the person might potentially be dealing with a thyroid problem. Uh-huh. You know, sure. there can be a lot of crossovers. There can be a lot of similarities to somebody who may uh, present with depression um, because, you know, you, you're going to look at things like fatigue. You're going to look at things as, you know, low energy. You're going to yeah. It just, you know, maybe some just general apathy. And so, you know, so we definitely want to make sure that we're ruling out first that there isn't, you know, another, you know, cause to, to what the per person's presenting to. So, you know, my recommendations, if they haven't, is always to go get a, a, a you know, checked out by their physician mm -hmm. first before we look at something from a, you know, a relational, emotional point of view. So that makes sense. Cause that's, I mean, one of the things we as humans, tend to forget about is or we like ignore is that just the mind body right like right. and they're so intricately uh connected and and affect one another and it, sure. it, it can become a sort of cyclical nightmare of sorts yeah you know absolutely um what what are the what are some of the misconceptions about depression i mean obviously we talked about a little bit about you know equating sadness to depression and, and mixing those two up. But what are maybe some other ones can you speak to? Well, if this, if this is kind of in line maybe with what you're asking, but the first thought that I had was, um, you know, even listening to you and Eric talk about it on the podcast, one of the things I thought I heard, which is just, I think it's how we talk about it, is when we say that maybe we're 
down, you know, our mood's down or I'm blue. Yeah. That we tend to say, I'm depressed, you know, yep. man, I'm just- Our language. Our language, yeah. the languaging of yeah. this. I'm so depressed. And, you know, again, for me as a clinician, you know, that depression means something, you know, and, and I think of it clinically. But I think what most people talk about are what we would consider, you know, subclinical sy symptoms of depression. Mm -hmm. And subclinical meaning, you know, you wouldn't qualify for a diagnosis of depression, but you're certainly maybe sad. Yeah. Like going back to that concept, or maybe you've just had a couple bad days and maybe you don't even know why. Maybe you're just, your mood is just really low. You're feeling kind of blue. Maybe you're, yeah, you're not really necessarily aware of why, or there's not necessarily a very obvious trigger mm -hmm. for why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. But I think people language it as, oh man, I'm so depressed. And I, yeah, I get that. I've, I think I've done that yeah, myself. Yeah, I think we all have, yeah. It's, uh, it's a catch-all term. You sure. Know, it's become such a, it is, as I mentioned at the top, it's such a big thing. And uh, using that term is a good catch-all term, but it, it as Tony's pointing out, it's problematic, right? Well, it's, it's confusing, right? Yeah. You know, it, it can be confusing because we can, we, I think we've, we throw around the term very loosely now um, because it's a part of our pop culture terminology. <laughs> I think of you the know? scene in, oh gosh, uh, the Goonies where I think Chunk says, oh, I'm depressed. And he's, 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 you know, squirting the right. uh, whipped cream <laughs> in his <right>. mouth. <laughs> Uh, delightful, right. but you know, it, it's a so, great scene, by the way, yeah. Yeah, a great scene. And right. you know, that movie came out in the eighties, yeah. you know, so clearly like this language thing has been around for a while. So what can we do? Like, do we, I mean, obviously one thing we can do is learn, learn more, yeah. learn, you, sure. know, you know, discover the difference between sadness and depression and, and really understand maybe a little bit better what depression is sure, and then use our words, use our language and just try to be a bit more precise about the language. Yeah. And I think too, you know, as, as you were sharing that, the thought that popped into my head was, you know, when do we, when do we start to wonder for ourselves? Is this something I need to be concerned about? You know, sure. when is this something that's no longer, um, you know, I'm depressed, kind of like the way that we're talking about it right now, just kind of like, yeah, I'm just kind of bummed. I've had kind of a couple bad days versus I think I might be depressed. Yeah. And I think I might need to go see somebody. And, you know, one of the thoughts that I had about that was, gosh, if, you know, if I were somebody and I was trying to, you know, really think about that, I think one of the big differences is impact or impairment to life. And most of the diagnoses that we use and, and are in the, um, the DSM really focus on that as criteria is that, you know, that, that whatever it is, I'm probably going through, you know, symptom wise in terms of a cluster of symptoms, you know, is there impairment in my functioning? You know, is this somehow restricting my life? Is this preventing me from, you know, being more fully present in a relationship? Is this preventing me from being more, um, you know, able to work? Is this preventing me from getting things done that actually need to be getting done? If your depression or, you know, your evaluation of your symptoms and you're thinking, you know, I, I, I can't pay my bills. Like I, I literally cannot work up the energy and the motivation to sit down and, and pay my bills. I just don't have it or I can't get out of bed to, to 
get to work and therefore I may lose my job or, you know, my wife has pulled away, you know, significantly because I'm just not participating in our relationship because Mm -hmm. I just am so down. Um, I can't seem to, you know, pull myself out. You know, these would probably be some, some real urgent, you know, type of issues to look at and, and somebody would probably want to seek some help. Other thing, certainly right on target with this too, is if somebody's having suicidal or, or you know, homicidal um, thoughts, yeah. uh, you know, we call ideation. If somebody's having ideation of, of any form of, of either suicidal or homicidal ideation, you know, you, you absolutely want to seek help right away. I mean, that is, the, that is absolutely a, you know, a, a high, high priority to seek out treatment. What, so when you, when you say ideation, what does that mean exactly? So, you know, if, if you're having thoughts of, you know, and when we think of suicidal ideation, you know, we, we think of there's a little bit more on the passive side, which is you hear people talk about, which is, you know, I just don't think I want to live. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, if I got hit by a car today, that'd be great. Sure. You know, or if a, you know, if a plane fell out of the sky and landed on me, wonderful. And that's, you know, a little bit maybe more on the passive side, although still extremely concerning. I mean, very, very concerning. And, and I'd, you know, I'd really encourage somebody to seek help versus, you know, somebody who's, who's more, um, you know, has moved beyond passive ideation into some form of active ideation where it's, I'm thinking about how to kill myself. You okay. know, I'm actually thinking about, yeah. um, oh, I have pills in the house. I could take those. Or yeah. This is how I would do it. If somebody's thinking, um, that's an extreme sign that somebody probably needs, no, no, I'm sorry, not probably, needs to go seek out mental health, you know, a professional or go to your local emergency room right away. Right. Um, that is an absolute urgent issue that needs to, to be, you know, seek treatment immediately. So, uh, good point. Um, two anecdotes, pers- yeah. personal, sure. uh, on the, on the sort of passive side, I, I think I, I do sometimes have a cavalier flair with putting, you know, not sort of worrying about putting my body in danger. Like, oh, what do you mean? Uh, what I mean by that is, okay, I can couch this in the context of my relationship with Jessica. Yeah. You know, for example, I will, I got a mountain bike recently and I'm, I'm you know. I know, I'm so excited. <laughs> Shall we tell the listeners we went out on Sunday? Yeah. I had a great time. Great time. Yeah. Tony, uh, also a therapist, but uh, he's a mountain bike uh, expert as well. I, I do enjoy. Well, yeah. you know, I'm not sure expert. The shredding those trails. Hey, <laughs> if our listeners could only see you climb those hills, he's like a mountain goat, people, let me tell you. <laughs> um, no, so when I, I have this flair with, you know, back in, in my mind, I'm feeling like, okay, like I don't, I'm willing to take more risk, I think, with mm. like my body. And I I don't have like I'm not too worried if I'm gonna get hurt. Hmm. You you had mentioned it's yeah. just a matter of time, right? It's not right. It's not if you're gonna fall, it's when you're it's, gonna fall. Exactly. And so sometimes I have that in a lot of areas of my life where I feel like it's probably going to happen anyways if I am more cautious or worried about stuff and like 
then it's just going to affect my experience in the now, right? So sure, that's probably a very light version of what you're talking about. But I do like think I'm thinking like, oh, I don't care if I get hurt. Like what, what it's going to happen. Mm. Like, you know, so I have, a, I think a little cavalier attitude about it sometimes. And it, it, you know, bothers Jessica. <laughs> I was going to say, does it bother you or Jessica? <laughs> it bothers Jessica. And, and sometimes I wonder if I do it just to sort of get, get her going a little bit, but that's just, I don't know. That's, that's an anecdote. The other one is more serious in that, when I was studying abroad in Wales yeah. and I was going through a very deep, dark depression period of my life and, and dealing with the eating disorder and really being exceptionally isolated. Yeah. I, I was away from everyone I knew yeah. in another country and, um, you know, 118 pounds. I was, wow. yeah, I was, I was a mess. I, everything hurt, everything hurt physically and, and, and mentally. And I had suicidal ideation. Yeah. I, I had vivid memories. I would take these long baths. Mm. Um, and I had this, had this thought that as I sat in the bath, the water sort of, uh, blurred mm. my figure which i yeah. gr i grew to hate yeah. because it was so just gross and skeletal you know and um i had thoughts about you know killing myself in the bathtub and thinking mm. about like what my blood would look like on the porcelain white tub and i right. had i had those thoughts and would write them down and stuff and so um I just wanted to bring that personal experience because I've, I've gone through that yeah. and it was scary. It yeah. was scary, but you know, in retrospect, it's scarier. Like at the time I feel like, oh, this is just, right. this is the, the direction that it's going and this yeah. is, this makes sense, right? Well, you know, maybe what you're touching on there um, and maybe what this is making me think of that I, you know, was thinking like, boy, you know, our listeners, you know, this might be something for us to punctuate a little bit was, was that point of how it's maybe so easy for us at those points to almost minimize or normalize hmm. the severity of something, you know, like that, that we're going through. Sure. And it's not until we maybe look back on it with a healthier perspective, you know, maybe we've gotten the treatment and we look back and we look back and realize now that was scary. You know, like you said, like that was, that was scary. Like I was in a bad place. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't be thinking those things. Right. I mean, that's not the, you know, in a sense, that's not the signs of mental health, right? If I'm, you know, if, if this is the, um, again, what I would imagine for you, I mean, you know, just, I mean, just from, you know, your sharing our conversations was, you know, you slipped into that place you know you know kind of step by step by step it's not like you take a big leap right from you know also right. mental health to mental illness you know it's it's this very subtle you know slow type of process and i and i think as we so slowly move into something like that it just becomes normal right yeah. i mean there's almost something just so normal about where we find it's ourselves comforting it's, too. It, we, it, it comforting too it becomes a comfort you know yeah, it, you know, maybe a familiarity too. Just because, yeah, what yeah, you know. What you, what you know. know. I mean, yeah. there's like a familiarity. And, you know, so as you were sharing that with me, you know, the th running through my mind was this idea of like, yeah, it's so easy for us to slip into this thing of, well, I'm not so bad yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, this is acceptable. Yeah. Um, 
as opposed to to realizing no this is not you yeah. know that this is not okay and and I, you know and, and I actually really need to do something about this I need to talk to somebody I need to reach out I need to get you know mental health I need to seek out a mental health professional and someone to help with this because you know again like that's that's not okay you know that that's certainly not being in an okay place and it's certainly not indicative of mental health you know and and being in a, a good healthy place but but how easy it is to feel normal. It is easy. Yeah, it is easy because, uh, as you said, it just becomes what you know and it becomes your world. And, and it's easy to get used to that. Right. If, you, if you're, um, especially if you're isolated. Sure. You know, I think a key is having people around you who, uh, you know, see you for who you are. Yeah. And care about you yeah. and... And uh, you know, have a have have a sort of understanding of mental illness, and, sure. and um, are the people that are going to sort of get you, you know, help you, guide you to a right. healthier place. Well, and and on that note too, I was thinking that what I think can become so difficult if somebody's dealing with depression is the feeling that nobody cares. Yeah. yeah. Or, or you know, I'm not worth caring about. Yeah. And these real feelings of hopelessness. And one of the things I recognize in that, you know, in, in working with people clinically is, you know, we can become very distorted in our thinking and, and which can certainly lead to, to some of these issues that we're talking about related to, to clinical depression. <clears throat> in fact, one of the most effective treatments for clinical depression is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is helping people capture their distortions of thought and their misinterpretations and, and, and reworking, you know, the way we perceive, you know, relationships, the way we perceive information, the way that we look at ourselves, the way that we maybe look at our future and, and beginning to help somebody think differently. Um, you know, again, Alex Korb's book, The Upward Spiral is a, is a fantastic book. Um, you know, he studied at UCLA, spent, you know, his, his research in neuroscience with depression. So a, a great book, highly recommend it. Um, but you know, really helping people to to look at things differently around them. But if they're you know, I call filters. If they're if their templates are looking at things in this way, and and therefore their feeling, you know, our cognitions have a huge impact on on our feelings. If our feelings now are that you know people don't care because that's how we're interpreting and experiencing those relationships around us, I mean, you know, it, it, it can be uh, horrifying, you know, the impact that that has on us in terms of how we see um, whether, you know, we, you know, how do we get out of this basically, you know, how do we move forward? How do you, I mean, so what, when you're treating your patients mm -hmm. with who have depression, how do you, what are the things that you prescribe to, for them to do to uh, help combat the depression. Sure. Um, as I mentioned, cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the, the evidence-based treatments that we use in psychotherapy for the treatment of depression. Mm -hmm. The other is, as I mentioned before, is you know having somebody go get medically checked out by their physician to make sure that there's not something from a a medical, biophysiological. Uh, place that's happening that's you know actually creating the depression yeah so that's key you know that that's going to be first um 
another recommendation is probably going to be to a psychiatrist. So they can also be evaluated by a psychiatrist and we can determine whether, you know, they're a good candidate for antidepressant medication. Mm-hmm. So it's usually a combination of, of antidepressants and psychotherapy, uh, talk therapy. And um, yeah, you know, those, those are generally going to be the, the, the two main interventions that, that we're going to use to treat somebody's depression. In addition to that, you know, again, is I'm getting to know somebody, working with them, and, and really knowing their history, you know, there's the potential that other types of psychotherapy uh, treatment modalities might be used depending on the particular client and their presentation and their needs, basically, from psychotherapy. Um, you know, so as we get into some of the deeper issues, you know, there are certainly um, other things that they could potentially benefit from looking at um, things from an interpersonal neurobiology point of view, attachment theory. And understanding, um, you know, maybe even some some theoretical work from a psychodynamic perspective, but um, but cognitive behavioral therapy really right now is is the most evidence based treatment for them for people with depression. And again, you know, um, and then the psychopharmaceutical intervention. Mm-hmm. What are uh, Alex Corb mentions gratitude? Uh, yeah, sort of like having this gratitude journal and and you know writing in it every day, just the stuff in your world that you're thankful for, yep. that's a thing that you can do on your own. What, what are right. other types of things that you can do on your own that would, you know, maybe help your journey in depression? You know, you guys touched on this, you and Eric. Yeah. And, and I loved what Eric had said about he has an appreciation journal. Uh-huh, yeah. And I, I love that. I actually, I, I was, um, I'm going to steal that from you, Eric, if you're listening. <laughs> um, I really like that. I thought that was a really, really great exercise. And, and and the point to that, very much in line with cognitive therapy. And and I also like what Eric was talking about. You know, this isn't a positive psychology tool. Sure. Um, and, and as you had mentioned, which I also appreciated, you know, this isn't dismissing what you're feeling, this right. isn't minimizing maybe the, the the hurt or the pain or the emotions that you're going through. It's not that at all. It's just training the brain, being intentional and mindful, as the two of you talked about as well. I love mindfulness. That's absolutely something that I think is, is a huge uh, healthy treatment intervention for somebody that, that's dealing with this particular issue. In addition to others, I think mindfulness is just, just a wonderful tool in general. And... So the intentionality, the training of the brain to, you know, recognize the things that you're, from Eric's perspective, you know, appreciating mm-hmm. from the things that you're finding fulfillment in. And there's, there's you know, intentionality is, is the word there for me. You know, it's, it's an intentional focus to reflect back on the day, think about the things that you appreciated, because for me, that is such a wonderful uh tool that each one of us has. And and I think one of the major benefits from that is what a great tool for self-awareness yeah. and, and learning about ourselves. Because I think, you know, we can fly through each day, pay very little attention to anything that happened and and just survive it somehow and get through and just go to bed and just wake up and do it all over again. But I think there's something to be said about the intentionality of stopping, reflecting back on the day, recognizing where was I fulfilled? Mm-hmm. What were my joys of yeah. the day? What what were what were my pains? You know, yeah. what were the yeah. things that maybe were maybe not as 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 also as wonderful? Because I think what that informs us is what do we want to do more of? Yeah, 
And I'm always asking clients that when, when a client comes in and says, you know, I had a great week or, or I experienced far less of this symptom. What I'm always asking is, well, what did you do different? Mm-hmm. Or, or what was, you know, what was different about that day? What did you do different? What was a, what was your different experience? Uh, but, but quite often, what did you do? You know, what, what was different? And, and once we kind of discover whatever that particular thing was, I'm always wondering or, or asking and exploring, well, how do we do more of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So, how do we bring more of that into your life? Because that sounded like that had a positive impact on you. Sounds like that was very beneficial. Sounds like it really helped you reduce your symptoms. So, great. How do we bring more of that into your life? And, and if we're reflective, mindful, I think we can find those things. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a great place to sort of start to wrap this up. I Listeners, everything that Tony just said in the last couple of minutes, take that, take that into your hearts, into your minds. I think that um, so much of mental health is we, we get so, so isolated, we feel so isolated and, and we get, you know, as yeah. we're talking about this one track mind and if we can you know, it takes effort. It yeah, takes work. It, that takes work. But think about what Tony just said and and the potential for impact on your on your life and the potential for bringing in more um, graciousness and 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 joy and you know understanding what is a pain for you and understanding what is a joy for you. Having that, you know, working on that sort of insight into your own sort of reaction to things and emotions yeah. is 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 such a great it's something that I try to work on all the time I struggle with sometimes but it I know that the impact on the on the back end is so worth it to absolutely. do that absolutely I mean I I tell clients when they come in and you know and, and you know sometimes people come in in the worst worst states of hopelessness and one of the things I share with them authentically, you know, that, that I get to share with them and I'm always so privileged to be able to share with them is, is, you know, I really know, you know, we can work on this and I really know, you know, I, I have hope, yeah. you know, cause I've, I've been the, you know, therapist, I have the privilege of, you know, now having, you know, you know, so many gosh knows how many hours of working with clients. And so I've had the privilege of, of seeing those changes take place and I've seen people get better. So I have the wonderful benefit of sitting across from somebody and it, while they're hopeless, I'm hopeful. Ah, uh, that warms my heart. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the most amazing things for you know me to sit across from somebody in their despair mm -hmm. and, and to sit with authentic hope to know that this is temporary. And, 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 you know, and we can get through this and, and I know there's something so much better waiting for this person once we've started this work. And, um, and that's a great thing. I mean, that's, it's so amazing to, to be able to sit with somebody in their hopelessness and have so much hope. There is hope you guys, there is, is hope. So hold on to that. And, uh, I guess I'll just say before we wrap up, uh, please go, Connect with Yumi Empathy on Twitter and Instagram at Yumi Empathy and go to Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook community, which is growing and just a lot of great interaction there. So go check us out there at facebook.com slash groups slash Yumi Empathy. And then please, lastly, uh, go give us some joyful ratings and reviews in iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That, uh, that helps out the show, gets... 
some a, a, it affects the algorithm uh, of the Apple machine, and it potentially can bring more ear holes into the Yumi Empathy universe. So do that, please. And the last thing I'll say is, I'm here. You're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy.